Yeah, give him a hand. You know, when you think about the eyewitness account of the birth of Jesus Christ as it's recorded in the Gospels, sometimes that story gets a little convoluted. You add some Christian tradition, and then a little bit of the secular idea and story of Christmas gets mixed in, and it, it makes for an interesting story. Then you add children to the mix who don't, you know, they're, they're limited in their capacity to understand certain concepts and, and complex things. And man, it makes for an entertaining story. It may not be an accurate story, but it's an entertaining story. And then you take all of that with a bunch of kids and you put it on a stage at Christmas time in a church. And man, you don't know what you're going to get. It reminds me of the story, a true story of a couple who were married. They've been married about five years followers of Christ, but they had had no children. And the wife just really began to pray to God, please bless us with children. If, if you bless us with children, I promise we will, we will raise them on the word of God. We will teach them what it means to worship you and to, to be a part of a church. And, and God blessed them. In fact, the next four years, they had four children. First five, nothing. The next four, four children. I believe they're on the Pastor Jeremy and Corey birth plan. I believe it's what they're on. But she talks about how her crowning moment was when all four of her children had a part in the Christmas church pageant. And this is what happened. She tells the story. She said, my proudest moment came during the children's Christmas pageant. My daughter was playing Mary. Two of my sons were shepherd, shepherds and my other son was a wise man. This was their moment to shine. My five-year-old shepherd had practiced his line, we found the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. But he was very nervous, and when it came time in the play for his line, he said the baby was wrapped in wrinkled clothes. Well, my four-year-old who played Mary said out loud, that's not wrinkled clothes, silly, that's dirty, rotten clothes. (laughs) Then a wrestling match broke out between my daughter Mary who played Mary, and my son, the shepherd. But the angel broke it up, but she bent her halo and lost her left wing. I slouched a little lower in my seat when my daughter, who played Mary, dropped the doll representing baby Jesus, and it bounced down the aisle crying, Mama, Mama. Mary grabbed the doll, wrapped it back up, and held it tightly as the wise men arrived. My other son stepped forward, wearing a bathrobe and a paper crown, knelt at the manger, and announced... We are the three wise men. We're bringing gifts of gold, common sense, and fur. Or Frankenstein and Moe, whatever. The congregation dissolved in laughter, and the pageant got a standing ovation. Now, next Sunday, here at Canton Campus, a part of the service, the kids are going to be performing. You don't know what you're going to get, so you want to be here. But I think... Part of the story that is a bit confusing for some of us and maybe some of the least understood of what we call the Christmas story is the part about these wise men that come from the east following the star. They come to Bethlehem to worship Jesus Christ. And there's a character in this story that we hardly ever talk about, and that's King Herod. And what I want to look at today is these particular characters, Herod and the Magi, or these wise men, and who they are, and what that really means 
to us today. So if you happen to have a Bible and want to turn, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. All the scriptures we're going to look at are going to be on the screen if you don't happen to have the Bible, so that's okay. But Matthew chapter 2, and I'm going to read the whole story, uh, 12 verses, actually 13 verses, if you will, but it'll be on the screen. So hang with me, and here's how the story unfolds. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Here we have these wise men from the east following this star coming into Jerusalem. They're asking, where is this baby born king of the Jews? And they're asking it of Herod. And Herod gets very upset about this to the point he sets out a plot to have this baby killed. Well, who are these characters and what does that mean to us? Let's, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this moment, this time, your presence. We now invite you just to open our hearts to you more today. We thank you for your presence that has been with us in our worship. And God, we just ask now that help us to really see who we are in this story of Christ. Help us to really find that place and to see what you want to do in us in greater ways to change us for your glory. I pray that for the person who knows you the least in this room all the way to the person who knows you the most. Let it be so now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who is Herod? Well, Herod was the ruler over the Middle Eastern region under the Roman Empire. He was appointed by Caesar Augustus. And he ruled for some 33 years, and obviously he was ruling at the time that Jesus Christ was born. Herod was also a Jew. Herod didn't live like a Jew. He didn't believe in Judaism. He didn't believe in one God. He lived like a pagan Gentile, but he was a Jew. In fact, he was called king of the Jews. This is what Caesar appointed him or called him as well as the Roman Senate because he was a Jew ruling over this area, Israel. But he was a master politician as well. He knew all the people to meet. He knew all the people to schmooze. He knew all the palms to grease. In fact, Herod had 10 wives 
And he married most of those wives just to get political gain, just to get political clout. But he also was a genius builder. He built all kinds of palaces and fortresses and stadiums and theaters. In fact, he even built the temple in Jerusalem where the people came to worship. And it was considered one of the seven ancient wonders of the world in its time. It was a gorgeous, magnificent facility until it was destroyed in 70 AD. But he was also a ruthless paranoid. He was a ruthless leader. He would kill people as to soon as look at them. He had so many people put to death, anybody that was a threat to him. In fact, he had some of his wives imprisoned, had some of his wives executed, had some of his children executed. And supposedly it was Caesar Augustus that said, I would rather be Herod's pig than to be one of his family members. But he was paranoid. He was a very insecure leader. He was always looking over his back. He was always afraid somebody was going to betray him and plot To take his throne. One of the main reasons was because he was a Jew. But he also knew. That the Jews believed that there would come another ruler. Over Israel that would actually rule the world. A Messiah that would come from the bloodline of David. And Herod wasn't of the bloodline of David. Now he didn't believe that. But he knew the Jews believed that. And he was always afraid these Jews were going to come together. Rebel against him and take his throne. That's one of the reasons when the Magi come and they say, where is this baby born king of the Jews? It says that Herod got disturbed. That word in Greek disturbed literally means physically shaken. He was physically upset because all of a sudden he's hearing about the potential of a new king. And so what does he want to do? Kill it. When you get down to the bottom line of who Herod is, this this ruler, this genius builder, this master politician... He was a king killer. That's what he was. Anytime there was any inkling of another king in his vicinity that could possibly take his throne, he did everything within his power to make sure that king got killed or that potential uprising got put down. Herod was a king killer. Well, then, who are the magi? Who are these folks? Now, Look at this picture moment because I want to clear up a couple of things when it comes to the Christmas story. You see these three men in the front here and you see this entourage behind them. Now, these three men represent obviously the wise men. But here's what you have to understand. That we don't have any idea how many wise men actually came to worship Jesus. There's nowhere in the scriptures does it say. Nowhere in, 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 in historical evidence does it tell us the number of magi that came. Just tradition tells us three kings or three wise men. Also, they did not show up on the day of Jesus' birth. They weren't there then. In fact, it could have been two years later that they showed up to worship Jesus Christ. Because Herod asked them, when did you see the star? Give me the calculation. And it could have been a two-year period after the birth of Jesus that they arrived. In fact, when it says they come to Bethlehem to worship him, it says they came to the house where the child was staying. House meaning a home. Child, the Greek word there, means that of a toddler. It's used more for a toddler than for an infant. Now, if you have a beautiful nativity scene at home and you've got great looking wise men bowing down at the manger, don't go tear them out of your nativity scene. Don't go rip up all your Hallmark cards. It's okay. God's not going to strike you down. But understand, we don't know how many wise men, and they got there after Jesus had been born. However, what is accurate 
about this picture probably is you see this entourage. It probably was a rather large caravan of people that came to worship him. Because you see, the Magi were that. They were wise men. And they were wise men who were highly intelligent. They were from the east, most likely from what was Persia of that day, which is modern-day Iran, which is about 900 miles from Jerusalem. They were from that area, and they were highly intelligent people. They were highly educated in all different fields of endeavor. One of those fields that they were highly educated in were the sciences, primarily astrology. They were studiers of the stars. They were very astute in science, but they also were very astute in religion. Not only just the religions that they practice, but the world religions. Meaning that they would have probably had a good idea of the Old Testament prophets' prophecies about a coming Messiah. About a coming ruler in Israel, in Jerusalem, that would rule the whole world. They would have an idea of what the the Bible said about that. As well as the studying of the stars. Now... We don't know what exactly this star was that they see in the sky that compels them to go and, 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 and go towards it to worship this king. We don't know what it is. Some people speculate it was a comet with a tail. Some speculate it's a, it's a group of constellations. Some say it could be a group of planets. Because we know in history, at this very time frame, these things were appearing in the sky over this very area of Israel. It could have been actually an angel. We don't know for sure. All we know is that these magi, these wise men, in the studying of the scripture and seeing what it said and seeing this stars that they they studied and and there there was this this belief that there would be certain stars aligned that that would be a sign that royalty or kingship was on the rise. And so that along with their the prophecy, in fact... One of the prophecies they may have even known about is in Numbers. Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. This is what it says. A star will come out of Jacob. That would be the end of Israel. A scepter will rise out of Israel. That's possibly what they also knew. So seeing this star, along with what they understood about the scriptures, compels them. Hey, there's a... There's a new king in town. And they begin to go to worship him. Because here's the bottom line of what magi were. Magi were kingmakers. They had tremendous political clout. In fact, it says at the time that the magi were in place, there was no ruler that could rule in Persia until the magi endorsed them. That's that's how powerful they were. Man, if somebody had the endorsement of the Magi, they were certain to be king. I mean, the Magi, these were the, these were the, uh, 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 the, the, the public relation folks for the leader. This, these were the social media people. These, these were the press corps. These were the campaign managers for the kings. They actually put kings in place by their very endorsement. And at the time that this is taking place, when a new king would rise and come into power in a kingdom, Countries around would send entourages to go and greet them, welcome them, pay homage to them. And that's what these magi are doing. These were kingmakers. So imagine now, you're Herod. You're this paranoid leader who is constantly looking over his shoulder. 
worried about somebody taking his throne. This magi arrive in this entourage. Now, Herod would have known who the magi were. He would have known what kind of power they had. They arrive in Jerusalem. They come to him who is supposed to be the king of the Jews, and they say to him, where is this baby born king of the Jews? They don't acknowledge him as king. They're going to endorse another king. Herod is physically shaken. And in this beautiful story that we love to see in our little Hallmark cards where we've got this cute little baby laying in this nice little bale of hay. Or not bale, but, but manger of hay. And we got this warm, glowing feeling. Keep this in mind. In the midst of all that, you've got a king killer pitted against king makers. You've got two totally different worldviews, two totally different approaches, two totally different attitudes. One wants to kill him. The other wants to make him. And then this clash of the cultures happening. And folks... 2,000 years later, it's still happening. In our very culture, we've got those who want to put Christ and God out of our culture. Wants to put them out of our thinking. Wants to put them out of the conscious mind of the public. While at the same time, there's this group of people that say, you can't have a culture. You can't have a, you can't have a civilization unless God and Christ are in the midst of it. Right here today, in the very time that we live. We've got king killers that want to absolutely eradicate Christ out of our thinking. But you need to have those that say, he's the only thing that's holding us together. Let me ask you a question. Where are you in this story? Who are you more like? Do you have a tendency to be like Herod in a way that I try to limit the, how much capacity Christ can have in me. About how much of his kingship can really be ruling in my life. Do I try to diminish the, the power of Christ in me? Or am I more like the magi who want to position myself that, that all that the kingship of Christ wants to be that in me, I want that to happen. Do I, do I position myself in such ways that he can be everything he wants to be in me? Where do I tend to be? In fact, let's maybe narrow it down a little bit more. In my life, do I have certain aspects of my life that say, that's off limits, Lord. I, I, you, you, you can't be king in this place in my life. And do I have other places? Oh yeah, you can have all you want. You can, you can do all the kingly thing you want to do in my life. Where, where do I tend to be? What I want to do for the next moment is just look at king killers versus king makers. And there's really two simple points. The first one is this. King killers want their way in God's story. Whereas king makers want God's way in God's story. You see, Herod, well, he thought he was writing his own story. Herod thought he was the God of his own story. Herod was writing out his own plan and plot for his life and how to deal with this new king. Herod was even under the delusion that he could actually kill this king. 
He didn't realize he's a part of God's story because here's the bottom line for all of us. If God is truly God, if God is the sovereign creator of everything that there is, if God truly is bringing his redemptive plan and purpose and will to play in this universe throughout the course of human history, then guess what? We're all a part of God's story. It's just a matter of, am I going to live my way in God's story or am I going to live his way in his story? See, that's the difference. Herod was about all about him. He is actually under the deception that if he can just go and take this baby out, that I've gotten rid of another king. He really thought not accepting and believing in this Jesus just literally put Jesus out of the picture. I want to say to all of us today, whether I believe in Jesus Christ or not, he still is Jesus Christ. If he is who he claims to be, if he is the son of God, if he is Savior of the world, if he is the risen Lord, if he is the one who sits at the right hand of God, if he is King of kings and Lord of lords, he is that whether I choose to believe him or not. If it's true, whether I believe it true or not does not make it less true. I think some of us sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking if I if I just don't believe in him or I don't accept all of him or I don't think he's real or he is who he claims to be, then I've just kind of settled the Jesus issue and he really has no more say in my life. And I want to say that is very deceptive. It's kind of like little kids when you play hide and seek with them. You know, when my son and daughter, Justin and Ashton, were growing up, they're little bitty guys and we were beginning to play hide and seek and they were just learning. I would say to them, go hide. Do you know what they did? Maybe your kids did. Do you know what they did? They covered their eyes. Go hide. And what did they do? Because they thought that because they couldn't see, they couldn't be seen. But they were totally exposed. It was cute. But it was very deceptive. And I just want to encourage you here today. I want to, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. If you don't believe that Jesus is who he claimed to believe, if you don't believe that, that he's real, if you don't believe that, just understand that does not mean you have just kind of put him out of the story, that he has no more say in your life. Because here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. He can be king of my life right now and I can bow to him under his salvation. Or he's going to be king later, but I'm going to be bowing to him under his judgment. Because he is king regardless Herod, no matter what he believed about him, was going to lessen that. At the same time, at the same time, Jesus did not need the Magi to endorse him to make him more kingly. He didn't need their worship. He didn't need their coming to him and giving him gifts to make him more or a better king. He was king with or without their endorsement. He didn't have to have their praise to be king. They didn't have to help him out. You know, our tendency is, is we like to try to help God out sometimes. Followers of Christ in this room, we try to help him. Sometimes we think, you know, God didn't quite get it or God didn't see it the way I see it. So I need to, I need to help him out a little bit. He ain't quite all that I need for him to be. You know, Jesus isn't like Tinkerbell and Peter Pan. You remember the story of Peter Pan and Tinkerbell when she starts dying? 
What does Peter Pan do? She looks at the television, or if you've seen the play, she looks out in the audience and tells all the kids, what? You've got to start believing harder in, P- in Tinkerbell. And start clapping, and you start clapping because that represents your faith. And the more you believe, and you clap louder and harder and louder and harder, and you see her glowing and getting brighter and brighter and brighter, and she back to life. Jesus does not need our applause and our believing. Oh, if I just believe enough, if I believe enough, if I believe enough, I believe enough. Oh, ding, 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 ding. Oh, I ring the bell. No, man. Mm -mm. He is Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, with or without my praise. See, Jesus did not need the Magi to make him king. But the Magi needed Jesus to be king in their lives. He doesn't need us to make him, but we need him to make us. See, that's that's what this Magi discover. Because they come thinking... We're going to come in this politically correct way and and pay our homage to this, this king. But they're in for a real shock. Because they come to Jerusalem. You know, I believe they came to Jerusalem. Because that's where they thought the king of the Jews would be born. Because Jerusalem was the capital city. That's where the king should be born. And man, were they totally just surprised when they get there and guess what nobody even knows that he's been born it could have been at least two years jesus could have been two years old at this time herod doesn't know he's born nobody in the city knows he's born there's people that studied the law didn't know this king was supposedly born they get there And they're expecting all this pomp and circumstance. They're expecting all this fanfare. They're expecting this great excitement because this new king. And they don't even know he's born. Because where the Magi came from, when the new king was born, man, there was a lot of fanfare. There was royal decree. There was an announcement that would go all throughout the land. The new king has been born and the people were all excited. It was easy for the Magi to endorse that king because the people were already accepting him. They get here, man. And nobody even knows he's around. And they begin to realize. (laughs) We got a lot of work on our hands. How are we going to endorse somebody. That's supposed to be king. And nobody is even excited about it. And they find out. This king is in Bethlehem. And even that, it's a two-bit, no-named village. And when they find out he's in Bethlehem, the star reappears. And it moves. It literally takes them to the very house where Jesus is. That's why many believe that that star is actually an angel. It says when the Magi get to the place, they were over. Joy. That means they were exceedingly joyous to find the baby Jesus. And they go in, and there this child is. And they bow down and worship to him. 
And I don't believe it was just this politically correct token paying of homage to this supposed king. I really believe they came in and they sensed something kingly about this child. That this child didn't need their endorsement. That literally they needed his endorsement. They sensed the divinity of this king. I don't know that they knew that he was, that he was God in the flesh. I don't know that they knew that this was truly uh, uh, the Savior. I don't know that they got all of that. But I believe as they came into him, they saw that there was this, this divine kingship about this child. And this isn't token worship. This is genuine, sincere bowing down to this king. They came with an agenda. They came with uh, uh, an expectation. They came with a certain approach and perception of this child. But when they came into the presence of this child, it all changed. It became about him. In fact, it says these magi were warned in a dream not to go to Herod. Who's warning them? God's warning them. And what does it say they do? It says they went home a different way. They came to Jesus a certain way, but after encountering him and choosing to embrace his way, they got up and left him a different way than how they came. And to go back the way they came, They had to go a more treacherous way. It meant a longer way. It meant a more sacrificial way for them to go back home the way that they had to go back. You and I, when we come to Christ, so often we come with a certain expectation. We come with certain dreams. We come with certain ambitions. We come with certain ideas. We come with certain perspectives. We come with certain approaches. And then we encounter him. And he may want to change those dreams. Or he may want us to put down certain ideas. And he may want us to let go of certain aspects and approaches and expectations. And he may want us to embrace and endorse and accept his way. And it may take us back a whole different way than we thought we were going to go. Just like we sang a moment ago that comes down to the bottom line. Am I going to live God's story my way or am I going to live God's story his way? Am I a king killer or a king maker? Magi, they came to Jesus one way. But they were something different. After they encountered him. And maybe some of us struggle. You know, Jesus didn't come through here. The Lord didn't, 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 didn't do what I thought he was going to do. Or, you know, this, this was my dream. This, this was my ambition. This, this is where I wanted to go. But the Lord's changing all that. The Lord's doing it differently. I don't understand. And I'm going a whole new way that I don't, doesn't make any sense. It's scary. It's frightening. It's calling for more from me. I don't get it. Do I trust him enough to know that even though I'm going away, that doesn't make sense to me. As long as I know it makes sense to him, I will follow him because his way may be different from my way. I know that his way is ultimate victory and it is the way of true life for me. King killers or king makers. And the deal is, the more I want him king in my life, the greater my God influence in other people's lives. You see, king killers minimize their God influence, whereas king makers maximize their God influence. Think about this a moment. Herod had the world power in his hand. 
I mean, he could have used that power and that, that influence to, to show so many people who this Messiah was. So, so many people who this Jesus was. But he didn't. Man, you talk about wasted God influence. Why? Because he wanted his way in God's story. In fact, in fact, the last thing we read about the Magi, we don't read about the Magi in Scripture ever again. The last thing we read about them is they got up and they went home a different way. That's the last thing we read about him. You know, the last thing we read about Herod in Scripture, he died. That's the last thing we read. It's at the end of Matthew. It's at the end of this story. We just read Matthew 2. It says, after King Herod died. It's the last thing we read. No more details about him. No more details about the Magi. Let me ask you a question. When you look at the Jesus story, who has the greater influence? Who's had the greater influence of people seeing Jesus over the past 2,000 years? Herod or the Magi? The Magi, absolutely. We look at them, we see their surrender, we see their sacrifice, we see their submission, we see their genuine worship to Jesus. They've had tremendous influence. Even though we may have them when Jesus is born and we have only three of them, that doesn't matter. What matters is these guys simply, now listen to me close, these guys simply buy Wanting God's way and God's story have impacted millions of people over thousands of years towards Jesus Christ. That's unbelievable. And all we, the last thing we hear about them, they went home another way. We don't even know if they made it home. Last thing we hear about Herod, he died. That's it. Just by following him just by wanting him to be king in greater ways just by him wanting him to truly make us in his kingship man there's there's where the god influence comes out of my life one of my favorite authors one of my favorite pastors i don't know him personally his name is bill hybels he pastors a huge Church, some 15,000 plus, 20,000 plus folks in Chicago. And he, he tells the story of a friend of his who was not a follower of Christ that owned a company. And, and this, this, this person who owned this company, although he wasn't a follower, he was a seeker. He, he was curious about Christ. He really wanted to know the truth about Christ. And he was open to it. And he told Pastor Hybels, he said, you know, I've, I've hired many Christians to work for me. And here's the story he told to Bill Hybels. This is about God influence. I want you to listen to this. This is what he told him. He says, you know, I was naturally drawn to God by observing Christian workers who were conscientious and kind and thorough and aggressive on the job, he told me. But I'll tell you what really impressed me. One day, a guy who I knew to be a fresh convert asked if he could see me after work. I agreed to meet with him. But later in the day, I started to worry that that young religious zealot might be coming to try to convert me too. I was surprised when he came in my office and with his head hanging low, he said to me, Sir, I'll only take a few minutes, but I'm here to ask your forgiveness. Over the years I've worked for you, I've done what a lot of other employees do, like borrowing a few company products here and there. I've taken a few, some extra supplies. I've abused telephone privileges and I've cheated the time clock now and then. But I became a Christian a few months ago, and it's real. Not the smoke and mirror stuff. In gratitude for Christ, for what Christ has done for me and the wrong I've done, 
excuse me, in, in, in gratitude for what Christ has done for me and in obedience to him, I want to make amends to you and the company for the wrong that I've done. So could we figure out a way to do that? If you have to fire me for what I've done, I'll understand. I deserve it. Or if you want to give me some extra work to do on my own time, that would be okay too. I just want to make things right with God and between us. Well, they worked things out. And that business owner told me, Hybels, that this conversation made a steep spiritual impact on him more than anything anything else ever had. And he said it's the single most impressive demonstration of true Christianity that he'd ever witnessed. (laughs) This guy didn't come marching in and give him a gospel tract. This guy didn't come marching in and start thumping the Bible at him. This guy didn't come in and start trying to tell him he needed Jesus. This follower of Christ, simply wanting God's way in God's story, walks in. And in his flaws and his failures, he just starts saying, hey, I got to make it right with you. And just by embracing God's way in his life, In a tangible way, he has tremendous influence on this unbeliever. See, that's that's what the church is. The church, I'm going to invite the worship team to come if they would. The church is a group of frustrated, (laughs) failed, flawed people who are simply wanting God's way in their lives they're wanting the king to make them church isn't perfect we're simply wanting the king to make us and in that just letting him be king more and more we have this amazing God influence on others we become kingmakers in the lives of others. That's what Canton Campus is. That's what being a follower of Christ is all about. In fact, this past Thursday, I believe a modern day, a 21st century star in the sky leading someone to Bethlehem to see the king happened. The star was the internet Bethlehem is the Merida campus of Mount Perrin North. This past Thursday night. You remember this past Thursday night is pouring down rain. We have a grief share group that meets on the Merida campus every Thursday night. It's a support group for folks who are walking through grief because of the loss of a loved one. A young lady came to that group for the first time this past Thursday night. Her boyfriend was suddenly killed seven months ago. She was drowning in the sorrow. She was so distraught. She was sitting at home, just desperate. Got on the internet and just did a search for grief, grief groups or whatever. And our church popped up with our grief share group. She had never heard of Mount Perrin North. She had no idea where we were. She drove over 35 minutes to find the Merida campus, a place she had never been to, in the pouring down rain, In the pitch black dark, she got to our facility. And if you've ever been to the Marietta Campus facility, it's a huge facility. 
And even if you know where you're going, you can't hardly find it when you get there. She had never been there before, but she finds the room. She comes in, and what does she discover? Just a group of people hurting like her who are getting a hold of God in the midst of that. Because even greater than their grief is to know the God that can lead them through this grief. She encountered a bunch of kingmakers. Just people who wanted God in their lives. Man, let me tell you, where you find kingmakers, people who just want God's way, you will find the presence of God and you will find tremendous power of influence. And this woman's able to come and in this midst of kingmakers, she finds the king. Who are you? describe your life right now what areas are more killing the kingship of Christ in your life what areas is he really being king how does the king need to change us today I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes you may be sitting here And you've got to make a decision about Christ as to whether he's just going to be king or not. Maybe you're a seeker like this story I read about. Maybe you're somebody that's curious about Christ and you've been open to who he is. Maybe today you're at that place where you feel like, you know, I, I, I need to make the decision. This morning is a great opportunity simply to just be like this magi and just simply bow before him and say, hey, not my way, but your way. I lay down my life. I lay down my idea of what life is for yours. I I lay down my sins for your forgiveness. I lay down the leadership of my life. I don't want to be the main character in this story anymore. I want you to be the main character in my life. You can make that decision today. Or maybe you're here, you've already made that kind of a decision. But you know there's there's places for kingly work to be done within your marriage, within your family, within your business, within your attitude, within your words maybe, within your actions. It's you and the Lord right now. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you're somebody in here that to make the decision for Christ to be king of your life. I'm going to pray a prayer and we're all going to repeat it together. I'm going to ask everyone, regardless of where you are with Christ, but if you want to know him today, I'm going to ask you for sure to repeat this. I'm going to pray, then I'll invite you to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person right now. Lord, you know our hearts. You know where we are. You know where we are on this spectrum of king-killing to king-making. You know where we are there. You know the certain places of our lives where we've allowed you to be king at the same time we have limited you. God, I pray like now for husbands and wives, for moms and dads, for sons and daughters, 
for business people, for educators, for whatever uh, uh, different fields of vocation are represented. I pray right now that, man, we're letting you be king. Whatever ways, Father, we may have feel disappointed by you or we feel like, man, I wanted to go this way, but you've asked me to go that way. Help us. Help us to have the trust. Help us to have the faith. Help us to truly just say, okay, your will. No more complaining about it. No more bitterness about it. I'm following you because you know what's best. I want to be what you want me to be in your story. Now, Father, I pray for those specifically who want to make the decision to follow you as Lord and Savior, maybe for the first time, that right now they would do that sincerely. I'm going to invite everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came as a man to die on a cross for my sins. I believe he has resurrected from the dead. And I believe that he gives me eternal life. I confess my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Be my savior. I ask you to lead my life. Be my Lord. Be my king. I trust you. I believe right now. I am yours. And you are mine. I have eternal life. Because you are my life. Thank you Lord. I belong to you. Father now I pray in Jesus name. That that truly is a sincere prayer. And that all over this room right now. Those that prayed that prayer sincerely. For the first time. That they know. You are king and you are Lord. May this be a brand new Christmas like never before. Let us be the kingmakers you want us to be for one purpose. Your praise, your glory, and your honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. Can you give God praise? Let's sing this together and respond.